Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, your hostess with the mostest, guide from the side, and mistress of ceremonies. Together, we're about to explore and deconstruct the shame and stigma surrounding our sexuality. You heard that right. We're going deep on the topics of sex, relationships, spirituality, health, and everything else that impacts our ability to live, love, and orgasm freely. My hope is to shine a light on our shared experiences by normalizing taboo topics and empowering each of you to reclaim autonomy of your pleasure, your bodies, and your lives. You are now entering a judgment-free zone where I ask all the uncomfortable and embarrassing questions for you. Our unofficial mantra is be curious, not judgmental. So leave your inner prude at the door or strap her in tight because this is happening. It's Kristen back again with Nothing Confidential, the podcast. Welcome. If this is your first time joining us, I am so excited that you're here. If this is your 10th time joining us, thank you for coming back again. I appreciate you. I see you. I love you. And I am looking forward to continuing this relationship. I'm totally into it. I hope you are. Would love to go on another date. Would you like to? Um, today is going to be a little bit different. I am doing a solo episode and I am going to be really honest. This is hard as shit. I have so much resistance around this process of doing a solo episode. So this is going to be a real time stream of consciousness so that I can be held accountable I, I need to do this. I have things on my heart that I need to share and I've been wanting to, but I just haven't pulled the trigger. And I, you guys, I've waited until the last possible minute. So a little peek inside of this process, generally speaking, my interviews with guests here on the podcast and even my hashtag asking for a friend episodes are I have them recorded in advance and I'm normally two to three months ahead. I knew that I wanted to share a solo episode for this week, uh, this Wednesday, and I am recording this at 5.48 p.m. on Tuesday. So this is the closest to in real time that the podcast has ever been. And I have also tried to record this episode at least seven times. This morning at 6 a.m., I started and I got 14 minutes in and I stopped and I haven't gotten that far again. I've gotten four minutes and seven minutes and you get the picture. And so this time I am committed to just rolling. This is going to be like a series of radical truth telling and it the thought of it kind of makes me want to barf. So... I am holding myself to the standard that I am hoping to achieve with this platform. I am showing up while something is going on with me, not, not when I'm, you know, five miles past it and, and starting to feel relieved and I can like look back on it and talk about it really calmly and objectively. Like I'm still actively working through the things that are in my heart and my gut to share. And it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. But the reason that I created this platform is because it's so important 
to show up when you're feeling those things. It's so important to share the stuff that, you know, makes you cry and that makes you feel embarrassed and it makes you feel afraid or ashamed or judged. Like when you share those things, you shine a light on them and you remove the charge from them. They become less scary, less intimidating. And also when you do that, you give others permission to do the same and you give them the opportunity to witness you and to connect with you and to find a piece of themselves in your story and in your experiences. So I think all the stuff that is coming up for me and this rolling around, it is attributed to two, two things simultaneously. One, obviously I gave birth five weeks ago and my delicious cosmic whimsical, just, uh, want to eat her up little butter toffee scone of a daughter, James. <laughs> she came into the world, you know, less than two months ago and it flipped everything upside down. It gave me so much perspective. It has been so magical and so incredibly life-changing and transformative and wonderful. And so much of it has been incredibly positive. And then there's also the, the dark shadow stuff that has actually just now started to come up. So I think I've been on like an oxytocin high for five weeks. And now that we're kind of getting into the groove of real life again, where it's like, I'm, we're going out into the community. She's in a stroller and we're going to my appointments that I was having before I had her only now she's coming. And then I am driving places and seeing people and she's coming with me and we're just integrating her into our lives. And that, you know, we're, it's starting to feel like our, our new normal, but then then there are pieces that aren't normal yet. You know, I'm being faced with the fact that I feel like everything is back to normal and I feel a lot like I felt before she was here. I kind of feel like old Kristen, only with a baby. But then I walk into my closet and my clothes don't fit. Or I think about, you know, having sex with my husband and I quickly begin to spiral because I'm... 25 pounds heavier than I've ever been. And my body looks different than it did before I gave birth to my sweet daughter. And that kind of sticks me. That really brings up some of my old stories, which I'm going to share with you. Um, but the second thing that is contributing to all of this, this is that is kind of that is like swirling around this like swirl that I've been in this week is that next week on Tuesday, I am launching, relaunching my program, The Living Room, which is a six week virtual experience where I basically invite you into my digital living room. Uh, to hang out with me in really intimate community. I only open it up to six women at a time because I want that space to feel really sacred and really safe. And I also bring in handpicked experts who I have a relationship with, whose work I admire and respect and have experienced. And we dig really deeply 
into these things, into the shadow side of our sexuality and our autonomy and our, our, our ability to experience pleasure and show up fully in our bodies and all of that stuff that can be really, really hard. And we deconstruct, you know, where the limiting beliefs and where the scary thoughts and where the doubt and all of that comes from. And we share experiences and stories and perspective so that we can give each other a, a broader sense of what is normal. That is such a, there, it's such a huge range, the human, the human experience. And so many of us kind of get stuck, you know, you get tunnel vision, especially when you've experienced trauma or something that is really steeped in shame and you don't want to talk about it and you become very isolated and then it feels like you're alone in the world and like you're the only one that that happened to and that surely nobody else had that happen. Or if they did, they probably were able to tell somebody and maybe they had a different experience than you or maybe they were stronger than you. And when you banish those beliefs, when you flip the light on in the room and it's like all the shadows scatter, you realize that that isn't true and that we're telling ourselves those stories and we're staying stuck um, due to our own fear. And it's really, it's really, really powerful. So (laughs) quick plug, there are two seats left at the time of this recording and I am looking for the, the right people. I'm looking for the right people to join the incredible women, some of whose stories I have already heard pieces of, and I couldn't be more excited. And um, I'm just really looking forward to getting into that hallowed space uh, in our sweatpants and with wine or tea or kombucha or whatever floats your boat in hand and just diving in. And peeling back the onion layers and getting really real and getting uncomfortable, but with so much love and so much grace and so much compassion. So if you are interested in that, feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. You can also read all of the things that I wrote about the experience. I go into a lot of detail to explain the outline and how everything goes down um, on the website, which is nothingconfidential.com slash the living room. But I think getting ready to enter a space like that, I, as your podcast host and as the facilitator of that program, I go first. A lot of the time I am the one I signed up to show up and raise my hand and, tell my story first so that you feel safe to also do that so that you can witness me and my vulnerability and it makes it less scary for you to then spill your guts. So I think just knowing that I'm about to go into that space with the women who have already signed up and there's so much to share and so much to learn. um, I think that's got me feeling some kind of way as well because I definitely feel resistance around (laughs) digging into um, my own stuff. It's been a while since I've done it, honestly. And that's one of my favorite pieces of this work is that it continues to challenge me and hold me accountable and call me up to the highest version of myself. I have to keep showing up and doing this work in order to provide a healthy and safe space for you guys to do this work. 
So all of that being said, this week, the stories that have been coming up for me are very much around my body and the toxic kind of societal expectations um, and interpretation of attractiveness. So I'm trying to think of where I kind of want to start on this. When I was a little girl, I went through a very normal, in hindsight, um, very normal kind of chubby stage from like nine to 13 while I was figuring out, you know, I like wasn't old enough to care about what anybody thought of me and um, was eating a lot of pizza and, you know, cake and birth, you know, kids birthday party type food. And, um, you know, also like many of us, there were parts of my childhood that were not ideal. And I learned to cope and self-soothe very early with food. And so carbs and ice cream and, you know, all of those things made me feel better. They made me feel comfortable and cozy. And so I was, I was chunky. I was really chunky and I, I wasn't aware of it until a little boy decided to inform me of my status one afternoon at church in the parking lot. I was minding my own business. I was walking to the family van and a little boy yelled across the parking lot for everyone to hear, hey, you're kind of fat. It was just like, it was just a statement. And I was so shocked. It like, I mean, it like felt like he punched me in the stomach. It took all of the air out of me. And I it was like this thing, this, this like nagging little thing that I couldn't quite put my finger on, but it's like the second he said it, it was like my worst fear being acknowledged and like yelled out loud for everyone to hear. And it was true. It was suddenly then true. And so I, that stuck with me. Um, that stuck with me for a very long time. So that, that was like the beginning of everything as in my memory, as far as I can tell, because after, only after that did I care about like, how much pizza somebody saw me eat because I was already chubby. And if they saw me eating like three or four pieces of pizza, then they would know why I was chubby and they would judge me. And I felt shame around eating in front of people. And so I would eat a little bit or what I thought was acceptable. And then later I would go back and I would eat more. And so this kickstarted the, the, the cycle of control. You know, that's, that was the earliest version of me trying to control my, my food and my body and all of those things. So then I have, you know, so then after that, everything else, it just carried a different weight after, you know, I had been identified as fat. And I also learned by the way that it was said that that wasn't a good thing. So the next memory is one where I'm in the store with my dad and he's supposed to be helping me find um, jeans because I'm about to go to like horseback riding camp or something. And we're looking for jeans and I tried on a pair that I thought were so cute. They were like Wranglers and they looked like cowgirl jeans to me. They were a little snug. Um, you know, I've always had a booty and I probably my little like muffin top or whatever hung over them, but they snapped and I thought they flared over my boots really cute. And I really liked them. And I remember coming out to show them to him and, I was probably, you guys, I was probably nine or 10. So this is, this is really young. So I come out to show him to him and he didn't, 
he didn't really say much. He just offered me the pairs of jeans that he had picked out instead and was kind of like, hey, like try these on. It was like encouraging me to put those on instead. And so I went and tried on those jeans and they were, number one, they were women's jeans and they were wide-legged, floppy. I don't think they were real denim and they had a drawstring. And they basically just cloaked my little chubby body um, like a sack, like a potato sack. And I want to say here that I am not in any way disparaging my poor father. He was doing that entirely out of love. Um, I, I have zero doubt, zero doubt about that. But in my tender little mind and in this understanding of my body not being quite what it should be, according to people around me, I really internalized that and it was super hurtful to me that he had chosen such big, ugly pants for me. And I remember feeling so ashamed that he, and I, I thought that he was trying to cover me up. And I know that he didn't want me to be picked on, you know, for being chubby. And maybe the jeans that I had picked were not flattering at all. And, you know, he, and he also, my family was very conservative and they were very concerned with modesty. And so I'm sure that that played a role as well. But essentially that just fed into the story I had about not being quite right and needing to be covered up. So fast forward, because this will take 20 years if I (laughs) keep down the childhood path, but the groundwork for this is laid early. So fast forward to, you know, my early 20s, where I am now an expert at controlling food. I am an expert at knowing when to starve and when to up my calories and when to drop calories and how to work out like a fiend until my body almost breaks down and then let it recover and bring it back and then do it again. I, I know all of the tricks. I know how to, you know, nip and tuck and manipulate and tan and tone my body into the thinnest version of itself into what I thought the socially acceptable version of myself was meant to be. Um, I, I bleached my hair and got spray tans and, you know, waxed everything and manicured and polished everything. And I, I got to a place where while I was continually criticizing myself and continually punishing myself and putting myself through hell to get to this place, I was being worshipped by men. I was being, I was getting a lot of attention. I, the, the men that I dated during those years made it very clear that my attractiveness was very, they valued that a lot. And sure, they were pleasantly surprised by my killer wit and charm and my personality, but that was always an afterthought. Like I think one guy literally said, and he tried to keep from sounding surprised, but he basically was saying how he couldn't believe that I looked like the the way that I looked and that I was actually smart and could hold a conversation, which at the time it should have been very insulting, but I was so, every time I got that, that, that external validation for how I looked, I was thrilled. Um, you know, anytime anyone commented on my body or how small my waist was, or, you know, how fit I was, I, I felt so it was, it was like a high, it was like drugs because that hole in my tiny chubby inner child was being filled with with the praise and validation that I had always wanted. 
And so I came to value my outward appearance a lot, um, way too much, way, way too much. So fast forward again a little bit. Um, I meet my husband, my future husband. And when we first meet, um, I actually met him through his roommate. So he was not the, he was not the primary guy on the scene when I met him. And so our, our relationship started off, uh, completely platonic. And he, I remember him telling me, I, we can't go into all of the details. That'll be for a totally, for another episode that I will totally have him on. But he told me one night when we were like, out cutting up, you know, having some beers, hanging out. He basically said that he didn't find me attractive. And I was, I laughed at him because I was just like, that's not true. Like everybody finds me attractive. Yeah. Sorry. I was a jerk. I was insecure. And I, that's how I, and I, I was overly confident and that is how I compensated for my insecurity. So if anybody knows an overly confident bitchy girl, Um, she's probably really scared and really insecure inside. So there's that, that was the truth about me. So, you know, and then he went back to say that he just, he wasn't into blondes and that he could recognize that I was universally attractive, but that he wasn't attracted to me. So then I guess I was, I was confused by him because he didn't seem interested in, in me physically, which was my, to me, that was like my most valuable bargaining chip was my, my appearance, my looks. I had, I had worked really hard to earn that and he wasn't giving that to me. So I was annoyed by him instantly because he just wouldn't give me the kind of validation that I wanted. We end up later in a relationship with each other. And eventually we have a conversation about it because I found it so bizarre that he wouldn't validate me, um, externally. He never really commented on my body or on my appearance or anything. He actually complimented me very genuinely on my personality and my humor and my brain and all the things I was good at. And while, while most people were like, Oh, that's great. He's a great guy. That's true. But I very distinctly remember being pissed. Like I was really mad at him and we got into a fight one time and I was like, I don't, I don't care like that you thanks. I'm so glad that you think I'm smart. Like I want you to think that I'm hot. Like, do you think that I'm hot? And that was all I cared about. I was fucking 23, you guys. And all I cared about was whether he thought I was hot or not. Even though this guy is like praising my brilliance and how I move through the world and how I think about things and celebrating me. Like I literally just told him that I was so mad and all I wanted was for him to think I was hot. <laughs> I know that hurts. It hurts to say that, but I still love her. I love 23 year old Kristen who, who was struggling that way. So I'm just trying to lay the groundwork for you guys, um, to, to bring you to present. So basically, you know, he finally is like, dude, number one, I think you're too big for your britches, which let's go back again to what I just said. I was insecure. And so I was acting like I was too, I was acting like I thought I was all that because I was insecure. So he was buying that hook, line, and sinker. Um, So he basically was like, of course, I think you're stunning. I think you're beautiful. I'm super into you, obviously. And, but I just, I didn't want to, he's like, I didn't want to add to your, you already think you're better than everybody. And I didn't want to add to that. So you have a little bit of an attitude. And I was like, ooh, okay. And so once we were actually in a relationship and the walls had come down a little bit and I was able to open up to him, I was kind of like, Hey, I know, like, I seem like I'm the most confident woman ever, 
but really I'm not. And I really care about what you think because I love you. And I don't care if every person in here thinks that I'm attractive. I only care if you think I'm attractive because you're the person that I like and that I'm into. And so things got better. Um, but we had a very passionate, very physical relationship all through our dating life and on into marriage, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're getting closer to present day where I, you know, I get pregnant eventually. We're married and we have this incredible relationship and I have grown and evolved so much and I have worked really hard to overcome these really dark and um, damaging stories about my worth being tied up in how I look and how I'm perceived. And, you know, as you get closer to 30, that happens, you know, once you get to 30 years old, you've almost figured out your body stuff and that's really exciting. And then boom, I got pregnant. And let me just tell you, nothing will fuck you up if you have a history of body image stuff like getting pregnant. That just opens up a whole can of worms, you guys. So from pretty much day one, I really struggled. I had to really work. I had to get out the journals. I had to contact all of my friends who are therapists. I had to be really, really vigilant to make sure that I processed my emotions and my triggers and was able to allow my body to do what it needed to do to, to grow a kid that I allowed myself to eat the things that my body was telling me to eat and that I didn't judge myself and that I didn't pick over every little thing. And every day was a struggle. I mean, every milestone, uh, you know, the, the first, I remember standing in my closet and sobbing because the, the day that my jeans no longer fit me and just feeling, you know, so messed up. And then I felt shame for crying and feeling all of that regret and all of that fear about my body while I was pregnant. Like here I am doing this miraculous, beautiful thing that I'm supposed to be loving. And I am freaking out and being triggered because I've gained weight and my clothes don't fit. And there's nothing I can do about it because it's a baby. It's not too many hamburgers. Like I can't just stop eating. I can't go back to my old methods of controlling my food and my exercise in order to fix the problem, quote unquote, because it's not a problem. It's a human being growing in my body. So I had to work through that for the entire pregnancy. And then the third trimester rolls around and I'm extremely pregnant and, you know, our, our intimate life is, is waning because my husband is not attracted to my extremely pregnant body. And we, we talked, we shared about that on our episode that we did, um, just a few episodes back and we talked about it and I let him know my feelings about it. But that was also very triggering to me because his opinion of me and our, our level of mutual attraction has in the past been so incredibly important to me. And so that was really uncomfortable and that was really hard to process. We got through it because we are dedicated to growth and evolution. We had uncomfortable conversations. I cried. I called friends and ranted and raved to them. I wanted to be really mad at him, but I couldn't because, he, I mean, he's such a wonderful human and he was so intentional with me about keeping our intimate connection he really took excellent care of 
of me and of that and made sure that I felt beautiful and that I felt supported and I felt witnessed and I felt um, loved. But going back to like shitty 23-year-old Kristen who's like, I don't care how much you love me. I just want you to think I'm hot. Like I literally, I reverted kind of back to that state where I was like, look, I appreciate that we are intimate and that our intimacy is great and that you love me and that you think I'm beautiful. I'm like, but beautiful and fuckable are two different things. And I just want you to want to fuck me and you don't. And my feelings are hurt. So 23 year old Kristen kind of like showed up and threw a fit. And then I got to hold myself and we worked through it. And, and that's, that's what you do. (laughs) The stuff comes up, you work through it. You think that you're done And then something else, something else inevitably will always show up because we're never done. It's, it's not about the destination guys. It's the journey. So we make it through that. We make it through childbirth, which is, we'll have, we we will do a whole episode on that, but it is incredibly vulnerable to, I mean, I was butt ass naked the whole time, like given birth in all kinds of crazy positions. My husband is there seeing all of the things he has seen parts of my body that I myself have never laid my eyes on. So that was a very intense, but beautiful bonding experience. We came through it. I felt really good about it. I felt really solid. And now here we are, you know, five weeks out and next week is the sixth week. And for you guys who don't know why that's significant, when you have had a baby, they recommend that you wait six weeks before resuming sexual intercourse with your partner. And honestly, because we had the baby and Mike has a really intense job, like we haven't, we haven't really fooled around that much in, in the five weeks. Um, you know, we've had like a couple of PG 13 steamy over the clothes, like makeout sessions, which feel really great. And they make me excited about what's to come because I do actually want to have sex. Like I do want him. I feel attracted to him. I feel all of the things. And then I get super in my head because I feel so excited and I want to get back to our sex life so badly, but I'm in this new body that I don't recognize. And my the trigger, you know, comes up for me where it's like, oh, what happens when you finally do have sex and he gets all up in your business? And what if he's not attracted to your postpartum body? It is soft. It is squishy. There are extra dimples. There are extra pounds. Um, there's just more of it and it feels and looks different. And I haven't completely reconciled all of that. I feel like I've kind of, um, split, split this experience where on one side as a a woman who has just given birth and is mothering her child and making milk and doing all of these beautiful things. Like I have so much love and respect for my body and I can look at it and have grace for where it's at and appreciate how strong she is. But then there's the, the, the shadow side of me that once I go into a sexual context, once I begin to think of myself in a sexual way or with my partner in a sexual way, I start to feel inadequate and I start to feel unattractive um, because based on what the shitty, shitty world tells you, um, I am no longer as attractive as I have been in the past. And 
like that's the kind of shit that rolls around in our heads. And I know that I'm not alone. And that is why I decided to share that with you guys, because I show up on Instagram, um, you know, like I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I do share a lot. I speak my truth often and I try to be as raw and real as possible, but that doesn't mean that I don't choose on purpose to show up on the days when I've had five hours of sleep in a row and I'm feeling very positive and I have something very positive to share because honestly, you know, as an influencer, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how big your platform is. If you have, whether you have three, 300, 3000, 300,000 or 3 million followers, if you are putting something out there and other people are consuming it, then you are influencing thought or conversation. And so as an influencer, I sometimes feel like it's my responsibility to make sure that when I am sharing things, there's always like, it always ends on kind of a hopeful note where it's like, I'm having a really shitty day, but the thing that I learned is blah, blah. And sometimes the lesson isn't clear or sometimes I'm not actually through the thing. I'm not through it yet. I don't have the perspective to share on the other side. And I think it's a disservice to myself that I don't make more space to just share things while I'm in the spiral because that in itself, I'm, I'm opening up my humanity and I am connecting to every woman who has ever felt this way to every woman who has ever hated her body to every woman who has ever felt like she wasn't good enough, that she wasn't pretty enough, that she wasn't thin enough for every woman who has ever felt scared that their partner would stop loving them if they weren't attracted to them anymore or that they would fall out of love with them because of what they looked like. So I'm going to actually resist the urge to tie this up with a neat antidote because I am still processing this. I am still sending voice memos to my therapist friends. I am still having conversations with my husband about it. I am still journaling and thinking and trying to trace these feelings and these thoughts back to their source back to my inner child who was afraid and who had those early formative experiences and I'm still sitting in it. So I don't want to be like doom and gloom. I'm just saying I am a human being. I am feeling very vulnerable right now. This is what's going on in my world and I hear my baby crying. So I am going to sign off so that I can go feed her. But let me know if you have ever experienced anything along these lines. Let me know what this brings up for you. Let me know if you have made it to the other side of this. Let me know what helped you. Um, This is me sharing my, spilling my guts to all of you because I, I ask the same of you guys. So yeah, I think, I think that's enough for now, but sending so much love to all of you. We'll be back next week with a regular episode, a beautiful interview that I can't wait to share. And I will keep you posted on the post baby sex thing because you know, we're going to do it. We're going to just jump in and do it. And I'm sure there's going to be something magical on the other side of that. I just have to close my eyes and, and jump. All right. Love you guys. Bye.
Hey, thank you so much for hanging in there and listening with an open and curious heart. I hope this conversation has inspired, educated, and entertained you, or at the very least, shaken things up in a productive way. Ann Voskamp says that shame dies when stories are told in safe places. So please share, rate, and review. Sending you love and dark chocolate. Talk soon.